So we are in the middle of a, of a series right now that beginning the year, we felt a strong need just to emphasize that it is absolutely critical to make space in our life to get alone with God, to get alone with God. We live in a very, very busy world that is not going to give you permission to do that. You're going to have to take permission and make permission for your life. There is a thing called the Sabbath day, that's today for most people, where God designed it to rest from work and just receive, get filled up with his truth, with good fellowship, with encouragement, with his word. What does he want to say to you? Worship in his presence. That's a good start. That's a good Sabbath day. But there's also these retreats regularly that God designed you for to get alone with him so that you can live life filled up because there's this spiritual principle that's true whether you're going on retreat or not and here it is what you fill up with is what you pour out so let's say this is the fountain of living water God Jesus describes himself as the fountain of living water come to him he says drink all who are thirsty and if you fill up with Jesus Guess what is going to pour out of your life in fruit and power to others? Jesus. There's that old saying that, you know, when Christians go through hard times and get squeezed, what should come out? Jesus. But a lot of that has to do with what are you choosing to fill up with? What are you being intentional about filling up with? And how you know is when you get squeezed, what comes out? That's what you were filling up with recently and and Jesus himself and this is what's kind of shocking Jesus himself models this rhythm in his life he would regularly retreat from the normal activity the engagement with the world he would regularly retreat and go be alone with the father sometimes he would even retreat right in the middle of what looked like a, a revival service taking place. Luke 5, 16 describes it, that a bunch of people gathered to come hear him speak and they wanted to be healed. They love what he's saying. And it says, but he withdrew to be alone and pray. It's like, what? Are you allowed to do that? And he's modeling for us that rhythm of we have got to get alone with God on a regular basis and fill up with God so that as we go out into life and life requires stuff of you, it draws on you, it squeezes you. So if you've retreated well and filled up with God, what's gonna pour out is God's power, God's goodness, good fruit. And so we're right in the middle of that series looking at what does it look like to fill up with God? How do we fill up with God regularly on retreat? And believe it or not, in, in what might look like an odd location to find these truths, we went to the temptations that Jesus faces when he's on a big 40-day retreat in the desert, right before he starts his ministry, in the power of the Spirit, which is very interesting. It says he was filled with the Spirit and led into the wilderness for a big, long retreat, and then he comes out in the power of the Spirit, and he pours that out to the world. 
So you see right there, even Jesus is filling up, getting alone with God, coming back in the power of the kingdom to pass on. And he continues that rhythm all the way through Luke. But what's very interesting is in the temptations where he's alone and the enemy, the devil, because we live, we are born into a war. This is a spiritual world. There is light, there is darkness, there is good, there is evil. There is God's kingdom, and unfortunately, the reality is there's the enemy's kingdom. The spiritual realm is real, and we see the enemy, the devil, come and tempt Jesus. But in those temptations, what we find is the way that Jesus battles, we can see some clues, not just clues, some clarity on how we can fill up with God. So the first temptation that we looked at about food was not really about food or just about food. Jesus responded to the temptation because he hadn't eaten in 40 days. He said, man does not live by bread alone. And he talked about what satisfies you? What really satisfies you? Are you seeking God's presence to satisfy you? Because if you're not, you're never gonna be satisfied. You can try to fill yourself up with a thousand and one different things and almost feel like a little bit crazy about I always, I, I, I'm always hungry but never satisfied. I'm always pursuing things and they kind of, you know, it's almost like Chex Mix, you know, they fill up a little bit but, you know, you didn't get nourished. You know, there's kind of this strange, it kind of feels good in the moment but it still leaves me empty overall. Jesus is saying you got to learn how to get alone with God and fill up with communion in his presence. Psalm 1611 says, in his presence is the fullness of joy. At his right hand are the pleasures forevermore. And so Jesus shows us that's one way we've got to battle to get filled up with God. And the second way has to do with our mission in life. The devil comes and tempts Jesus and he says, you can have all these kingdoms in the world because I can give them all this power, all this authority, this fame. All you got to do is worship me and I'll give them to you. And Jesus responds beautifully and says, I worship God alone and serve him only. But in that, there's, there's a revelation of something significant. And we see it all throughout Luke. And the reality is we are all made for mission. All of us have these gifts and talents and passions that, that we know. That God desires to use for his kingdom to advance. There's this incredible passage in Ephesians 2.10 that says God created us for good works and he planned them ahead of time long ago before you were ever born god designed you with purpose purpose-filled mission but it's not just kind of like this assembly line you know he he gave you this cold you know this passion it's kind of this cold like you know factory i'll give you this i'll give you this do you know the word for workmanship or that you're seeing up there or the word for masterpiece is poema from where we get the word poem there's this beautiful sense of artistry that God, the master artist, did not mess up when he made you. When, in fact, he gave you a unique set of gifts and passions that would reflect him to the world, reflect his beauty, his power, his glory in a way that no one else can. You're his poetry. You're his artwork. And I felt like he gave me this word for us. We got to dial down into this. Because of that, that artistic nature of God, that we are his poetry, we've got to soak in this truth right here, that God wants to sing a 
new song through you to the world. Isn't that beautiful? God wants to sing a new song to the world through you. It reminds me of a, a, a lyric from a, a, a great U2 song by Bono where he says, the sweetest melody is the one we haven't yet heard. Same truth right there where it's like there are new things that God wants to do through you. Reflections of his glory that happen through you like they don't happen in anyone else that's ever created because he's a master artist. So he wants to sing. He wants to sing a new song through you. That's a beautiful, purpose-filled mission that God's inviting us to get alone on retreat to talk about. What is your mission? Do you know it? Do you know those gifts and passions he's given you and how he wants to sing a song through you to the world? But once you know that mission, the reality is there will be opposition. Because the devil is not going to want to give back his territory lightly. That's just a fact. And that's what we saw in Jesus, where there's this twisting of mission. The temptation, it's so interesting. The temptation that Jesus, uh, the, the opposition and temptation that the devil brought to Jesus was almost Jesus's mission. It was a slight counterfeit. Because as you go through the book of Luke, you see Jesus' mission includes that he will be powerful. He will have authority. He will have glory. And that's what the devil was offering. But it was twisted. And the twisted nature of it was, it was Jesus had to grab it on his own strength, not by the leading of the spirit, and he had to worship the devil. <laughs> it didn't give God glory. It didn't result in the worship and glorification of God. And right there, that's a spiritual truth for all of us. We've got gifts and passions. We're going to want to use them. We've got to get alone to listen, to say, God, how are you calling me to use my gifts and passions? And watch out, because the enemy's going to try to oppose that and come in and twist it just a little bit. So if you find yourself using, using your gifts and passions for your glory and not God's, you've maybe unintentionally found yourself on the counterfeit mission. And that's why, man, it's important to get alone with God regularly and seek his face. God, what is the mission that you're giving me? And maybe it's the big long-term mission that he's got for your life, or maybe it's just today's mission. Just today. God, what do you have for me today? And we also talked about some relationships that we have in life are kind of default missions. If you're married, that's a primary mission. If you've got kids, that's a primary mission where God's wanting to use you to bless them. And a lot of time and effort needs to go into how can I get with you, God, each day and get my marching orders of how you can sing a new song through me to those very, very precious relationships around me. So that's like daily mission right there. So that's the last like three weeks in a nutshell. And now we're going to move on. There is a very second, very important, very second. There is a second way that the enemy is going to try to come and oppose your mission. Very, very common. In fact, everybody I know that I've talked to that has found deep purpose in their life and knows some of those missions that God has given them, they've also faced this reality, 
which is that the enemy at some point or another is going to come and just quite simply try to get you to quit your mission. It's, it's not a hidden tactic, but yet somehow it's very effective. The enemy hates your mission. I mean, if, if the spiritual world is real, which it is, and there is actually a spiritual battle going on where God's kingdom desires to break in and advance, and the enemy has lots of territory, and he doesn't want to give it up in people's lives, then there's going to be a battle. And one of the biggest ways that the enemy is going to attack is those little whispers in your ear that say things like, this isn't working, just give up. You're not worthy of this mission. You're not very effective at this mission. Man, you've been working hard and long on this mission, and you're not seeing much, so just quit. And this can be applied to marriage, parenting, serving in church, serving outside the church, in your business, out there in the world, with your neighbors. Anytime you take on a mantle where you say yes to God, I want to join in with your mission, you now have a target on your back. And the number one thing I, th- I think I think the enemy tries to do is simply discourage you. It's not working. Aren't you ready to give up? Just quit. This is hard. Take a breather. Take a break. Quit. I mean, if you have ever felt those emotions, I would suggest to you there's a good chance they're not just from you. The more holy the mission is, the more I guarantee the enemy is just going to try to get you to quit. Because a soldier not on the battlefield is a battle won by the enemy. It's very easy to win wars if soldiers are not on the battlefield. So I think, I am, I'm, I guarantee, I'm 100% confident, I've seen it happen so many times in 13 years of full-time ministry where the enemy just chips away at people's confidence that God even wants them on mission. Because if he can put you on the sidelines, it's an easy victory. So watch out for those things where you've got gifts and passions and you want to change the world. You want to have God sing a song through you and it gets you excited. And it could be a thousand different ways. We've got to remember, it's not just in the church walls. A lot of you recognize that your job is your mission field. The way you can care for people, the way that you can love people, the way that you can show compassion, the way that teachers, my God, we need good teachers out there in that, wow, scary place that is public schools. And there are a number of them in here. That is a 100% in the trenches ministry. Any of you who work with kids in any level, whether it's tutoring or teaching or coaching, they are a generation who most likely is not being brought up in the home with a rich history of God. I mean, it's almost like you encounter a kid, you're on mission. (laughs) And Jesus said, they're very special. Let the little ones come to me, for theirs is the kingdom of God. So there's that. And I'm just trying to say that mission happens everywhere. God wants to infuse your life with divine purpose. In some senses, every relationship you have is an opportunity for mission. Now, I'm not saying you need to be on all the time. Jesus retreats. So you got to learn how there's boundaries as well. There's only one Savior, and he's Jesus. And if even he went on retreats and got away from people, you can too. But 
life is an opportunity to be on mission, to see God's kingdom advance. So any of those things that you resonate with, you care about the person, your gifts, your passions, you want to do something good in the world to see God's kingdom advance. Now you are a target. And anytime you sense those, ah, those doubts, I just want to quit. This is too hard. This is not what I signed up for. I don't think I could do it. Just be aware that is the enemy's number one tactic, I think. And let's see it here even with Jesus. In Luke chapter 9, we're going to jump out of the, the uh, temptations for a minute, but we'll come back. So in Luke chapter 9, Jesus, for the first time, begins to mention that he knows he's going to the cross. And we got to remember here, Jesus was fully God and fully human. That is, the, that is the testimony of the church for 2,000 years. A mysterious testimony. Fully God, fully man. Hebrews 4 says it like this, that he was tempted in every way that we are, in every way that humans feel temptation. Jesus feels it. Loss, betrayal, fear, all of those things are real to him, it says. Now, he responded perfectly to them like none of us have. But we can't, we can't just, oh, Jesus is like a, you know, it's, he's God in the flesh, so therefore he's like a superhero that doesn't feel anything. That's not the biblical witness at all. I mean, he prayed right before the cross, Father, is it possible that you would take this from me? I mean, he's feeling things, okay? He's not like, yeah, this is going to be easy. No problem. See you in a minute, Dad. He knows he's about to go through hell for you and me. The first time ever in eternity, as 2 Thessalonians 1 describes it, he will be shut out from the presence of God. That's hell. It's terrifying to Jesus. He's like, is there any way that we cannot do this? Okay? That's real emotion. He's being tempted in that moment. Hey, can I, can I, can we, can I twist up, or not twist up, can we, can we shift up this mission a little? Okay, it's in the Bible. So he's feeling the weight of the cross. It's real. And you know what? We saw at the end of the temptations, it said the enemy left him knowing he would return at an opportune time to Jesus himself. This is one of those opportune times right here where the cross is looming heavy. He does not want to go in his humanity. And what happens? In 9.18, now it happened as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him. So that's just another good reminder. He's praying alone. What's that called? A retreat. So Jesus retreated to go get alone with God and talk, to pray, to hear, to be encouraged. And he goes on to say in verse 22, the son of man will suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and scribes, and be killed. It's the first time he shares that with his disciples. So this is what's on his heart. He got alone to pray about this because it's heavy. He got alone to talk with God about this mission that is very, very challenging. And then he goes on. A little bit further in chapter in twenty in thirty one, excuse me. Now about eight days later, 
He took Peter and John and James with him and he went up on the mountain to pray. So just a week later, he goes on another retreat to pray, to be alone with God, to talk, to get filled up so he can go pour out. And he was praying and the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing, clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, and they appeared in glory and spoke of his, listen, they spoke of his departure which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now, Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. So in other words, all that's happening right now is not for Peter, James, and John. How do we know? Because they're asleep. I used to think this passage was like, oh, wow, Jesus wanted to kind of, you know, peel back the, the veil a little bit and kind of show off like, hey, this is what I'm really about. <laughs> now that kind of happens but rereading it, and actually, to be perfectly honest, with the help of a mentor, that's not what's happening at all. How do we know? Or not, no, I shouldn't say at all. That's not the primary thing that's taking place. How do we know? Because Peter, James, and John are asleep. It's not for them. This time is for Jesus. This is Jesus getting alone on retreat. And what happens? Moses and Elijah appear with him, and they speak of his departure, which he's about to accomplish. And then Peter and James wake up. They're like, what's going on? Oh, they hear, oh, these guys are here. They're talking about Jesus departing and all his mission. It's not for them. Jesus, in the goodness of the heavenly father, is being encouraged by some people that in his humanity, he would greatly look up to. Moses and Elijah, they're like, you know, in the, in the pantheon, if you will, of the Jewish heroes. And somehow God makes them appear in glory and they're talking to him about his departure and his mission that he's about to accomplish. I really believe that's a time where Jesus is getting encouraged to keep fighting the good fight. This is that he's similar to the Garden of Gethsemane, which is like, hell is looking at me. Hell is staring me down. And so even Jesus has those times on retreat where the enemy's knocking. Come on, man, that's too hard. Isn't there another way to do this? If your father loved you, why would he put you through this? There's got to be another way. Moses and Elijah come. Hey, your mission's almost there. You almost get to depart and be home with the Father. Accomplish that mission. And then right at the end, we get this triumphant thing where the Father speaks. And he says, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. That'll put a little wind in your sails. That'll encourage you to keep rolling in your mission. So I believe among, yes, being a quite a revelation to Peter, James, and John, who were asleep for most of it, this is an example of how Jesus is getting alone on mission as he's wrestling with his own mission, the big mission. There's never been a mission more significant than Jesus going to the cross. So you think the enemy's just going to take a day off on that one? No, he's going to work overtime and come with every possible lying, opposing, confusing, just quit this one, just find a way around it. And so Jesus gets alone on mission and he gets encouraged and he comes back on fire and he keeps going. So a question for us, how do we fight against the temptation of discouragement. 
I know that for any of us in the room (laughs) that have entered into godly mission, knowing it or not even knowing it, but usually you gotta, I mean, but, you know, like I said, being married, having kids, those kind of things, being in relationship, that's God's mission. So we're all on mission, but especially if you've said yes to God or you know clearly, you're saying, yes, I wanna be a part of you singing a new song through me to the world. I guarantee every one of us has felt discouragement. So the question is, so how do we fight through that opposition? And I believe now we're going to jump back into Jesus's temptation. I believe his answer right there to the devil on that original temptation is a perfect answer. When the devil says, hey, yeah, gifts and passions you got, they have to do with authority and glory and kingship and fame. So let me twist it a little bit. Let me try to offer you that now. You know, you're going to get glory, not, or, you know, you and me, but not God the Father. Jesus' response to that is what? Nope. Worship God alone. Worship and serve God alone. And it's a great example for us how we know if our gifts and passions are being used in the right direction. Are we getting the glory or is God? But there's more in it. Worship God and serve him only. That, that part, serve him, stood out as I was studying and praying on this. I believe in there is the great antidote to discouragement. When the enemy comes and in his, all his little stupid lies says, it's not working, you're not good enough, it's not effective, how come more isn't happening? You know, just give up, just quit. Jesus says, no, worship God and serve him only. And there's a truth right in that serve of victory, this is key. Victory or how to fight against discouragement is simply this. Just be faithful to serve God and leave the results up to him. Just be faithful to serve. When you're on mission with God, all God is actually asking of you is to be faithful, to serve him in the way that he's called you to and leave the results up to him. If you can grab onto that, that can eliminate so much discouragement in life. Because so many times the enemy is saying something to the effect of, you're not good enough, you're not worthy, this isn't working, you're not effective, just give up, just quit. And if we can, we can silence all of that with the simple truth of my job, all God's asking me to do is listen to his voice and faithfully serve him each day, and I leave the results up to him. That is a massive antidote. I know many people, I know many full-time pastors who have quit the ministry over that very issue right there because they leave the results up to themselves. I'm faithfully serving, and so I have to see this result. And then I don't see that result, and the enemy says, look, you're not good enough. Look, it's a failure. Look, it's not working anyways. And the discouragement, when you take that on, can be fatal. But it goes for all of us in life. The enemy's just going to want to discourage you. Hey, it's not working like you hoped it would, so just give up. Get off the battlefield. So there is 
an absolute abundance of freedom, and I know it because I feel it, and I've lived it, and I've felt those same temptations, and it took three, four, five years in full-time ministry to wrestle through this junk and get set free from the performance mindset that the enemy wants to put in each one of us and live under the freedom of the results are up to God. My job each day as a beloved child is just be faithful with the mission he puts in front of me and the results are up to God. And as I stay faithful, the results will ultimately blow my mind. And I will get to look back on my life and say, look what God has done. Not look what I could do in my own strength. Let me give you one example. I told, I told you guys last week about how, for me, I take very seriously being a dad. It is an absolute holy mission. And even from the time that our firstborn 17 years ago, and we held him and we sang to him, the Holy Spirit was there in ways that literally blew our minds, blew our hearts open. We didn't know a love could grow. An expansion of our hearts was possible in that way. And a clarity of mission that it's not just about, wow, we've got strong affections, but then this holy fire of, and I have the holy privilege each and every day to be on mission with God and just be faithful to love them, to discipline them, to bring truth, to follow God's spirit in what he's asking me to do each day so that they see God's face and goodness and kindness and mercy and power singing through me. Yet, that doesn't mean it's not hard. Doesn't mean it doesn't get discouraging. I mean, I've been fired up about that for 17 years, but discouragement comes. And I remember specifically about three, four years ago, and it's just in, you know, in one of my kids' son's lives, that's all I got, uh, one of my three sons' lives, it was just a hard period where, and I did ask him permission if I could share some of this, some of it. <laughs> um, um, but it was where it was like, this isn't lining up. He, he, he's such an incredible kid. And from the time he's young, such a heart for God. And we see on him clearly his identity in God's eyes and some of the things, how God's designed him to be. And it's so beautiful and it's so powerful. And his identity in the Lord is so strong and clear. And he grew up with all these things. And then there was a season where it's like, it all disappeared. Where did it go? Like, haven't, haven't you grown up in all of this and it's got deep roots that make you this just powerful young man? Where did it all go? And this is the question. I didn't, you know, I don't say this to him. This is in my heart, like, God, what happened? We're not seeing the fruit of all that. And that's when, what do you do when you get discouraged? That's a good time for a retreat. So in case you're wondering, when's a good time to retreat? Well, a Sabbath day is good. Daily with the Lord is good. But if you're discouraged, ding-a-dong, retreat. Because the longer you ignore that ding-dong, you become a ding-dong. No, just kidding. The longer you ignore that, the more the enemy's just going to layer, layer, layer discouragement upon discouragement upon discouragement till you quit. So get alone when you get discouraged. So I got alone. God, what's going on? There's, there's prophetic promises on his life. We see this beautiful identity. He's already tasted it and walked in it, and now it's like disappeared. This is painful. That's when, in a time alone retreat, God gave me this verse, Psalm 112. And this is my verse, I own it, because God gave it to me. But I'll share it with you. You can have it too. 
Blessed is the one who reveres the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments, for his offspring will be mighty in the land. It's not a coincidence that I opened the Bible to that verse when I went on a retreat saying, God, I need encouragement about parenting. Cool stuff happens when you go on retreat. It's kind of magical. But you know what was cool in there? The encouragement is, blessed is the one who reveres the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. His offspring will be mighty. That's nothing specific about what you need to do with your child. This is just keep loving me, just keep following me, just keep delighting in me, and watch what I do for your offspring. It's right there. Just be faithful with what I give you. And you will look back on your life sooner or later, and it'll bring tears to your eyes and joy to your heart as you say, look what God has done. Now, there are some specific good things that we can do as parents, and I'm not saying there's not, and don't read parenting books. Those can be helpful. But this was God just saying, just delight yourself in me. The most powerful thing you could ever do for your kid is be absolutely in love with me. Absolutely delight yourself in me, and that will transfer to them a power that nothing else will. I believe that. And, and I'll share, I'll fast forward now and, and share a, a quick testimony. So this same child who was, who was on my heart came to me, came to my wife and I uh, a few months back, and fast forward a few years here and, and a lot of thank God breakthrough moments, and he's at this point. I want to go on a mission trip, Dad. And in fact, he went on one the prior year. I want to go on a mission trip to Mexico. So he signs up again. Great experience for him. God's doing great stuff in his life. And, and he finds out he didn't get selected. He's not on the trip. And he's crushed. What? I loved it. It was so good. And, and, and he begins to come to us and like, I, I, I got to go. I got to go. Like, my heart's there. And like, God, thank you, God. Like, that how much of a victory is that alone for, for us in this verse right here where now he's, he's, he's mad because he can't go on mission trips because he's just got a heart to go serve in Mexico. And he loves the kids and he loves the experience. It was powerful for him. Now he's like, I need to go. That's my trip. <laughs> this is, you know, in our house. So we're like, my wife, it, my wife and I got together and it was right at the time in early December, and I'll close with this and we'll be done. Early December, where I was, we were going through Luke. And what is that beautiful phrase in Luke 1 that God gives to Mary? When the Holy Spirit's present, nothing will be impossible with God. The impossible will be possible. And so my, my wife and I were like, let's, let's, let's go after this. He's been rejected. The answer is no. There's not enough room. And, and at the time, there was a, a special connection going on with my wife and him. So I was like, all right, you, you bring that to him. So she said, we're going to do that. Here's God's truth for you. <laughs> the impossible is possible with God. Let's just pray and let's just wait. And let's just be declaring the impossible is possible with God. You want this trip? The impossible is possible with God. So regularly, if not nightly, for two months, that's a prayer. The impossible is possible with God. No change. 
Then all of a sudden, last week, we get an email. He doesn't even know. We get an email from the advisor saying, blah, 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 this and that has happened, and he gets to go on the trip. He doesn't even know. And so he comes home, and he's shocked, and, and it's a beautiful moment, and, and, and we get to rejoice in a victory of taking a faith-filled risk, saying, God likes to do this stuff, man. God likes to do the impossible. The impossible is possible with God. So this is a mission field for us right now, right? So that's awesome. It happens, and wow, what a great victory that God came through, if you will, and we kind of put a risk out there and, and, you know, in the tender young faith of a young man said, hey, believe God for the impossible. And so that was all awesome. But then God just felt like showing off with how personal and powerful and present he could be because the very next morning, my son leaves for school and goes out and in our driveway on the car that he's driving to school, on his windshield is this little funky card. And if you're not a Spanish speaker, lo imposible es posible means the impossible is possible. And it's on his windshield. It's on his windshield. And he drives to school the whole way looking at it. And in his weak Spanish, he's like, I don't really know what that means. Oh, gosh. He, he literally goes to school and he says, I had to ask a friend, what does this mean? And that's, but that's all he saw. It's right there. Man, how, how, how good is God? It's the very phrase, the very phrase that God gave us on mission. Say, take a risk and declare this over your son. And God wanted to just show him, look, when you follow me, and now he's joining on mission, I will be with you in ways that will blow your mind. I am so real. I'm so personal. I'm so powerful. I'm so present. He needed that encouragement because he was discouraged. We needed the encouragement because we were discouraged. And it's amazing what happens when you make the time to get alone with God and let him fill you up and fire you up for the missions that he's called you to. Let's pray. I will sing a new song. I will sing a new